Okay. Thank you, Lord. I am so excited for what God is doing. And I'm happy for our collective. I love our collective Sundays. It's our it's my favorite. It's our my favorite gathering just because we get more of us in one place. And that is so good. That is so good. Uh, we're going to have communion in just a, uh, just a little bit. And our communion is not simply a, a cracker and a cup. It's a meal. Of course, we do have the, the cracker and the cup, if you will, because it does help us symbolically with what, what communion is. Um, helps us to remember that. But uh, communion wasn't just a cracker and a cup. It was a whole meal in Jesus' day. In fact, it was the first communion as what the Lord's Supper was the Passover meal, right? It was, a, it, was a whole, it was a whole meal that they sat down to. And so that's how we like to do it here is a whole meal. In fact, it became the Lord's Supper and uh, breaking bread together became one of the four main disciplines of the early church that we read about in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the disciples' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and the prayers. Those were the things. It says they were diligent. They were disciplined about doing those things. And the breaking of bread was twofold. It was coming together and have what might be referred to as a love feast. We call it a potluck, right? Now, where we come together and we all bring food. Uh, but it was also done in remembrance of Christ, which was, which was uh, what we refer to as communion, the Lord's Supper. But it was, it was not about something that was just between you and God. In uh, last week in our in our series uh, on God, we are God's anointed. I, I uh, taught on a message called "Many But One," how we're all we all are individual members of the body of Christ. We're all we all have something that we give directly to God, but it's used in coordination with the other members, right? So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we went into that. It says, can the eye say to the ear, I have no need of you, right? right? Or if all of us were an ear, where would the sight be? Or if all of us were an eye, where would the hearing be? It was something that the body of Christ in all of our parts, the, it's not just the sum of our parts, right? The body of Christ is just not the sum of all of us coming together individually and having this individual relationship with God, but rather it's actually supposed to work together where we have a corporate relationship with God. Okay, It's something that we're, we, we come together as uh, a, a, not just individuals, but the, we're individuals working one with another to accomplish all that the body of Christ is meant to accomplish. Right? So the, the body of Christ is not just the sum of its parts, but it actually works together. We see that, princ that principle in Scripture. It says one will chase a thousand, two will chase what? Ten it would be two thousand, right? Well, that's what we think about. When, it, when we're the sum of our parts, it's one would chase a thousand, two would chase two thousand. But that's not how the body of Christ works. What's the Bible say? One will chase a thousand, two will chase... 10,000. There's a multiplication factor when the body of Christ actually works together. Okay, so let's think about this in another way. If, um, if the 
if I, all right, so here, here I have my physical body, right? And I have all my parts, all my members of my body, and they're all working pretty well. You might question my mind's not working the best, but, but it's all, I'm, I'm healthy and I'm strong. Now, I can go out and I can do work, physical work, okay? But if I would, let's say I lost my thumb on my left hand, all right? Now, if I went out to work, could I still work? Yes, I can. Will I work as effectively? Okay. Well, it's only a thumb, so you would think, you would think that I would have just a little less. Let's say that I was, in fact, we were talking the other night, we were talking about this, and there was a guy, there's a gentleman here, and he was had a, a tree trimming service. So th- let's say we're a, I'm a tree, I'm a logger or a tree trimmer, right? Takes down trees for a living. Okay, let's say that that's what we're doing. Now, I lose my finger. I don't have my thumb. Okay, my thumb on my left hand. How effective do you think I'm going to be as a logger or a tree trimmer? Could I do my job? How well will I do it? If I don't have a thumb, hanging on to a chainsaw is going to be real dangerous, won't it? Could I do it? Sure, I could do it, but I won't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow down, aren't I? I'm gonna slow down significantly. I'm not gonna be able to accomplish nearly as much as, uh, as what I normally would if I had my thumb, wouldn't I? In fact, I would probably be ten times less efficient without my thumb. And you think about of all of the bodies, thumb's just a real small part of it. Do you see the multiplication effect? So let's say I'm an air, um, I'm a pilot. Let's say I'm a pilot and I only have one eye. Could I fly? Sure. But you got to be careful. Well, technically you're not supposed to, right? In fact, they would, would you be denied a license? I don't know that, that law. You would be denied a license. How about that? Technically and physically, could I fly? Sure you could. But what about it? It's dangerous. That's why they don't give the license if you only have one eye. You can't get a a pilot's license. Do you see that? The body of Christ is operating a lot like a logger without a thumb or a pilot without one of his eyes. We're technically getting the job done, but we're not doing it very well. Why? Because most of the body of Christ and a lot of our individual churches are not working together in unity. We're not working together. We have people that don't show up on a regular basis. We have people that aren't, you know, they're kind of flowed in and flowed out. They're kind of a part of our, of our, you know, of our congregation. They're kind of not. They, you know, do you see what I'm saying? They're like, they see themselves as sort of optional. What if you're a thumb? What if your 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 church body is called to be a logger, a tree trimmer, and you're a thumb. Are you very optional in that case? What if your church is called to be a pilot for an airplane and you're an eye? Are you optional? No, it's incredibly important. In fact, the eye is just one part. The entire body is necessary. And certain airplanes, I know, 
they, you got the rudders with your feet and you got the stick with your hands and you got the you've got your reactions and you have to have the understanding of all the gauges and your your knees are involved your elbows are involved everything you're breathing everything is involved if any one of those systems go down or those parts go down you're potentially in trouble you're not going to be able to perform the function that you're supposed to be performing effectively that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. So when we think ourselves as optional, we don't actually realize, we haven't had the revelation of how important you are. When you're not there, when you're not functioning as part of the body, the congregation that you're a part of is operating, it's moving forward, but it's doing it handicapped because you're not there. Because you see yourself as something as, well, if I'm there, it's okay. If it's not, they'll continue without me. Oh, yeah, they'll continue without you, but not nearly as effectively. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to have a corporate relationship with, with Jesus. It's, it, it, that, I see this all the time. We are so selfish, absolutely selfish, in our our relationship with God because it seems like uh, in the western church in particular because we think it's just all about us and God what's my God what are you calling me to do what are you calling me to do and uh, you know what what is your perfect will for my life we, and we have very little consideration for what his perfect will is what he's calling our church to do our congregation to do our family to do our district or our conference to do we give little care about that. Why? Because we actually really care about ourselves. Am I being fulfilled in this church? Am I being, you know, getting what I want? Do, is the pastor serving my needs? Do they, do they offer the right children's program so my kids are getting what they need? Come on. How many people choose their, their congregations and their churches because of those reasons? If those are the reasons, you're completely missing the point. You are absolutely and utterly completely missing the point. Because we are supposed to be knitted together, as in 1 Corinthians, it says God gives all of the gifts as he so desires. He puts the members together and arranges them as he wills. Okay, He's the one that designs this. If we're listening to the Lord and we're being uh, uh, led by the Holy Spirit and he says, I want you to be a part of this body or this function, then... We do it regardless of how good the kids program is or if they even have one, like us. We do it regardless of how much we like the pastor or not. Why? Because you're actually called. God is arranging you to be a part of the function of this larger congregation. That also means that you're essential in its mission. So that means you're not optional. Well, gee, I'd rather go to that church over there because they have all these extra resources and, you know, they've got a, you know, they've got a, a cafe right in their lobby and they have this big sanctuary and their worship team is like 19 people and they sound like, you know, Hosanna Worship. Is that Hosanna Worship? They're still, no, they're not much of a thing anymore, are they? Right? Bethel. Right? They sound like Bethel. Right? Wow. You know, it's so good. Well, obviously God's moving more there. Because they have all this stuff. They have all these programs, and that's what I want to be a part of. And that's not, should not be our motivation. 
Our motivation is should be, God, I want to do, I want to be a part of what your people are doing. So tell me, send me to a people that I can partner with where we collectively can accomplish your will and your purpose. That needs to be our heart. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. That's what it means when, when Paul goes and talks extensively in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about we're many members but one body. We're all individuals within the one body, but the, all the individuals work together with the other individuals. It's not just a sum of its parts. You have to work together. There's unity. There is a reason that in John, John chapter 17, before Jesus is betrayed, or uh, is, uh, before Gethsemane and he's betrayed in, his, you know, in the, the, the beginning of the Passion, the last words that he prayed for, uh, for all the disciples and for all believers, including you and I, was this. He goes, God, the Father, make them one as you and I are one. And then he goes on to say, and the world will know them. They will know that you have sent me and that I am with you and you are with me when they are one. Unity is the proof that Jesus is God. So why do we have so much disunity in the church today? And, and let, me, let me say this about unity. Unity is not uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that we all do and think exactly the same way. In fact, we can disagree about things and still be in unity. Why? Because we have the same heart and the same issue. We might disagree on some detail, disagree on some of the details, but we work that out and we love one another regardless and, and, and we fig, forgive one another and we move forward. That's called unity, even with disunity, or excuse me, dis, dis, uh, disagreement. And we're not the same. We're not supposed to be the same. Right? As Paul says, it goes, if everybody was an eye, where would the hearing be? We're, not supp- we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to have differing gifts. That's not, if we were uniform, we would all do the same thing, the same way, all the time, have the same gifts. That's uniformity, and that's not what God designed us to be. We're supposed to be unique, but your uniqueness is supposed to complement someone else's uniqueness. Your gifts and strengths are to complement the weaknesses in someone else. And their strengths and gifts are to complement the weakness in you. And I'm telling you, you all have them. We all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. The only one that didn't have weakness was Jesus. The only one that was full of absolute strength was him. Right? And none of you are it. None of you have it. I'm sorry. But together... Connected as one body, unified, working together, we actually fulfill much more of Jesus' strengths and abilities. You cannot carry out the will of God by yourself. I'm going to say that again. You cannot carry out the will of God by yourself. It is not designed that way, and you will not find that anywhere in Scripture. It is always about community. It is always about the, the entire body of Christ working together. You cannot do it. There is no lone ranger. If you are church hopping and you're going from this place to this place and you're not really plugged in, I'm telling you, you are disconnected from the body and you have a fruitless walk with God. You say, whoa, those are really strong words. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. They say, yeah, but you're not actually doing anything for Jesus. 
because you're disconnected. Because connect, people that are a part of the body of Christ are connected with other people and they're accomplishing what God want, wills for the whole body of Christ. If you're just going out doing their own thing, you are rogue and you are out of the will of God. And I will stand by that till my dying breath. Everything that God does is communal. Everything that God does is in community. Even when, he, even when Paul went out and all the others, and when Jesus sent them out, he sent them out at a minimum of what? Two by two. He, nobody ever did anything alone. Jesus didn't even do anything alone. He surrounded himself with his people constantly. He took them everywhere. That's what he did. He always ministered with other people. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for us. Right? In fact, Jesus was so sad in Gethsemane when he's sweating like, like drops of blood about what he was doing. And he goes back. Where does he go back to? He goes back to his disciples looking for some comfort, looking for some, you know, someone to stand with them. And they're all asleep. And he realizes he's completely alone. Could you imagine the humanity of Jesus going, suffering so greatly and his people didn't think enough of it to stay awake. He, he said, can't you even pray with me? Can you even stay awake an hour? But they were so disconnected. Oh, you know, that's Jesus. He doesn't really need us. Right? <laughs> as, as, a, as a pastor, right, as a church leader, I, this has become like exceedingly real to me. Some people in the congregation, none, nobody here, but some people in the congregation actually believe that you as a pastor don't really have feelings. Uh, some people actually believe that you don't get offended and that you don't get hurt, that you're some sort of like supernatural human being, right? And, and some things are said to us that if, if, the, if it was in reverse and we said that to them, oh, my goodness, would things explode? If I said even a fraction of the things that were said to us, like unbelievable. Let me in on a little secret though. Lori and I have feelings <laughs> and we're really tender and sometimes we hurt and sometimes words are so harsh towards us and you know what? The expectation is that we just swallow them and deal with it and say, we'll pray for you. And we're okay. But inside, we're like dying, right? And hurt. And, and sometimes like crying over what's been said, right? Or what's been done. And it's something that happens on a, unfortunately, a two, well, I'll say it happens more often than it should. Why? We're just one of the body like the rest of you. We don't take on, we're not designed to take on more than what is our portion. And what is our portion isn't any bigger or smaller than your portion. It may look that way, but it's not. If that were true, Lori and I would have this grand ministry just by ourselves. But where would the ministry be? You're the ministry. You're the fruit. You know? It's every one of us have, have to, to, to see that we have got an essential part of what God is doing. 
This is what communion is all about. This is why communion, right? We say the word communion, it means community, right? It's, it's, it's a collective. It's, it's people coming together. Jesus shared the Passover meal, the Last Supper, with his family, with his disciples who he was pouring himself into. And he blessed them even when he knew that one of them was going to betray him literally sell him out with the same price that you would sell a slave for, 30 pieces of silver. He was going to have another one deny him, not once, not twice, but three times, even swearing an oath that he didn't know him. That was Peter. And the rest of them were going to abandon him. And yet he still washed their feet, he still blessed them, and he broke bread with them. I mean, we get offended with each other when, you know, the temperature of, 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 of the, the room isn't right. We just don't get things right sometimes, you know, because we're dealing with people who are imperfect and we need to work through those things. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When he washed their feet, what did he say? He goes, I need you to understand what I just am do- what I'm doing for you. You need to get this. It's serving one another and it's working with one another in our imperfections. That's how family works. But when the family works together and moves through them and works through those things, especially when there's trouble, the family's stronger for it. I mean, Lori and I know that in our relationship, husband and wife relationship, we work through very, very difficult things. If we were non-Christians, if we hadn't made an absolute commitment to one another that divorce was never going to be in our vocabulary, would be, we would be divorced right now. It was that bad. We would be divorced right now. But God, in his grace and his mercy, saw us through, and we committed. Now we have a fantastic relationship. Total restoration right? We're better for it now. We're stronger than what we were before. It was the opposition that actually made us stronger. That's how the body of Christ is. If you get offended with somebody and you're able to work through that, your relationship with them is stronger. You grow up, you become more mature. But if you say, ah, I don't like that person, I don't want to be a part of that, that. I'm going to separate myself from it, all that does is speak to your immaturity. All that does is show that you've got more room to grow. I'm talking about the common stuff. I'm not talking about the uncommon things, right, where there's massive moral failure or there's, ma- you know, or, or significant trauma that happens in the church, right? And some and pe- churches, people leave over certain things. Like there are some legitimate reasons to break fellowship. There are, okay? But I, in the long scheme of things, they're pretty small. They don't happen that often. It's really the little stuff. The Bible says it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. It's not the big ones. It's the little ones. It's the little offenses and those kinds of things. And they build up over time. And if you don't deal with them, if you don't have grace for the person, eventually you're like, ah, that's it, I'm done. 
If anybody went through divorce, you know it didn't happen overnight. It didn't. Nobody start, wakes up in the middle, you know, in the morning and says, you know what? I think I'm going to divorce my spouse today. Nobody does that. No, it's a slow burn. It's something that happens over time. It's, it's neglect. It's not dealing with things. It's sweeping things under the rug and that sort of thing. And we, too, have to do the same thing. I don't know why I'm going into this place of like conflict resolution, but uh, the point is, is that being the body of Christ, we've got to work through stuff so that we can work together on stuff. Let me say that again. We have to work through stuff and so that so that we can work together on stuff. Because if you don't work through, you won't work together. That's the commitment. That's the commitment that we make to one another. That is what communion is about. That is what Jesus did when he had that when that we when he they celebrated that what we would now refer to as the last supper before his crucifixion. He was demonstrating to his disciples unity and submission, humility, and working through. They didn't understand it at the time. Only later did they get it. Only later did they get it. I'll quickly say, uh, I, I was going to go through more scripture, but I'm, uh, I'll, I'll quickly say this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about communion actually more than any other scripture. The church in Corinth had a problem. They were super, super zealous um, about the spiritual gifts. They were super zealous about gathering together. The problem was is they did it all, all wrong. And they had absolutely no respect. They were missing something very powerful. They were missing love and respect and service towards one another. And they were all about serving themselves. And it was coming out. They had, it was, the, the church in Corinth was sort of a, the, the body of Christ being the sum of its parts. It, they were a whole bunch of individual relationships with God, but they were missing that larger point that they are one body working together. And Paul was trying to correct that. And you see it. If, so if, if, you, if you read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians especially, with those eyes, you see that, scene, that theme all the way carried throughout, including spiritual gifts. And by the way, in the middle of all of this is where we get the love chapter, Right? Love is patient. Love is kind, right? If if you know the if you you know you know all the the uh, if you prophesy, you're speaking tongues, but you don't have love, you're a clanging symbol, right? And all that kind of stuff. See, we like to use that at weddings, <laughs> right? We like to quote that at weddings and soft things, but he wrote that literally in the middle of talking about people who, when they come together they don't have any love or respect for one another. He, was, he, said, he wrote that talking about the unity of the church and how the body of Christ works together. That's the context in which he wrote that. Yes, it's good for weddings, but that's not the point. The point is the, the body of Christ working together. When he says love is patient, Love is kind, doesn't envy, all those things, doesn't keep a record of wrong. He's talking about you and how you treat her and how he treats him and she treats him. 
when we come together. That's what it's talking about. That's the context. Don't take scripture out of context, please, which we do all the time. So I'll read this. So he says this. Actually, I'll go through this really fast, all right? It's it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, (coughs) starting at verse 17. I'm going to read through really, really quick, and I'll just interject a couple things, and then we'll close it up and have, have our communion meal together. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. So he wasn't happy with the church in Corinth. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. He says, yeah, you're coming together and you're meeting. You're excited about that, but it's not good. All right. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's, uh, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? So let me read that one more time. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while the other gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which you can eat or drink? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. And in my Bible, it has an exclamation point. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so we get this picture, and I've quoted that. In fact, when I when I serve a communion, that's the scripture that I quote. It's always out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so the... Um, understand the context. So the context when he shares that is about you guys are getting together, but you're not getting together to celebrate the Lord's Supper because you're coming together just to do your own thing. One of you eats all the food. The other one goes hungry. This one person over here really indulges and gets drunk, which by the way, the the church in Corinth would have been used to these types of expressions of getting together because they would have had celebrations and festivals surrounding the gods. And it would have looked very, very much like that. So they get saved, they have this festival, this meal together, and they just do it like they would always do it. Which one gets drunk, one binges themselves, they run out of food, others don't get to, right? And there was also social class involved, right? Uh, so, so if you were very inf- uh, influential, affluent, you would actually get served more me- uh, more food or have more drink than ones who are poor, and they might get served little. Now, we can't relate to that so much in our culture, but it was really alive and well during that culture. Okay, so you had all of these influences, and they're like, oh, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and so they just did the same thing. And he goes, no, you've got it all wrong. He goes, in fact, you're not even celebrating the Lord's Supper because you're coming together and you're all individuals doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. So we're not even observing it. That's when he then says, 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he goes to the context, the context of him saying this in institution of the supper has to do with their unity and how they treat one another. Then he goes on and he says this, and I believe that this scripture is misunderstood a lot. He goes on, he says in verse 27, he says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Now we stop there and we say, oh, okay, Paul, you're saying that the communion, when we come together, it's all about examining our personal relationship with Jesus. That's what it's about. Examine yourself. There's a true application to that, but that's not the context. The context is examine yourself among the body. Examine how you are communing and and reacting and interacting with the body. That's to to drink the cup and, and eat the blood in an unworthy manner has to do with how connected you are with the body of Christ, not with how connected you are with God per se. Does that make sense? That's why context matters in scripture. This is what he's been talking about the whole while. And then he goes on and he says this, it even gets worse. He goes, Verse 29, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, who's the body? The body of Christ. Without, If we eat or drink without recognizing our brothers and sisters. Come on, it's staring us in the face. This is what the scripture is saying. This is what communion is about. It's not about examining us individually with God, but examining and recognizing the body. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So that means God takes it seriously. This is why, listen to this guys, verse 30. This is why many are sick and ill among you. And many have fallen asleep, meaning they died. Paul is suggesting that the misunity in the body of Christ is a cause for physical sickness. I mean, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. If you are not connected and caring for the body of Christ, and you're a lone wolf. I mean, I'm telling you what, you can be in church and still be disconnected. You can be in the meeting and still be disconnected, and that's exactly what he's addressing here. If you're not connecting, we, you could be actually reaping judgment on yourself to the point where it brings sickness in your body. There's safety in the body of Christ. There's safety in the unity of the spirit. Verse 31, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore in scriptures, always, always look what it's there for. <laughs> okay? So he says all that to say this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. All right, now we can stop right there. How many times have I gone in to a, to a church function, whether it's a church service? I used, to tra- I used to sell advertising for a living. Hated the job. Worst job I ever had in my life. Um, and I used to travel. I was away a week at a time. And I, so I was living in hotel rooms. I only saw Lori on the weekends. This was part of our struggle <laughs> with our relationship at that time. And I was so hungry for fellowship. I was so hungry for brothers and sisters. Because when you're on the road, being on the road stinks. It's awful. And I'm living out of hotel rooms and stuff. And I, especially when you're by yourself. And so I would seek out Bible studies and church groups and whatever I could in the week, which is really hard as midweek services. If it was a Wednesday, I could usually find someone. But if it was a Tuesday or Thursday, and I would go in just beat up and discouraged. I would sit down and I wouldn't even be welcomed by anyone. Desiring. I saw people, this one church I went into was a big church and you could tell the worship team was so polished and everything. They had it all scripted. At the beginning of the service, the whole team came out and they're like, praise God. They walked out in this line, getting everybody going, praise God, praise God and all this stuff. And, And it was so like fake. But I could see what they were doing, right? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then they had this beautiful worship time and all the music was perfect and everything else. The only person that said a word to me the entire time was the usher who showed me where my seat was. And I was broken and hurting inside and not one person welcomed me, truly welcomed me. If we can't even get the welcome right, how many people can walk into our room here, right? Oh, who's that? There's somebody new over there. Huh. Welcome them. Surround them. That's the function of the body of Christ. You don't know, but God may have put that person in your, in your body because there's an essential part that they're supposed to fill that you don't have. Welcome them, receive them so that we can be more impactful in what God's calling us to do. Therefore, brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. (laughs) It's not about the food is what he's saying. So that when you gather, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about this, uh, about other matters whenever I come. So he had a whole lot more to say about this, but he was going to stop there. And I have a whole lot more I could say about this, but I'm going to stop here. (laughs) I think that's the point, though. I think you get the point. Communion is about the blood and the body of Christ. It's the body. This is why Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have a part of me. Now, he wasn't being literal about that. 
He wasn't being literal about that. What he was saying is, what you eat is, you, is what you become, right? We, it, we become those things that, that we ingest. Ingesting Jesus makes you a part of Jesus. And all the others who have ingested and received Jesus into them, themselves become a part of Jesus. Communion celebrates the fact that his body and his blood made it available for us to come together to perform the function of his body and his blood in this earth today. That's why communion is so important. It is about judging our hearts and getting right, being right with Jesus. But it's, that's only a part of it. It's only half of it. It's about us being right with one another so that we are performing and functioning as the body of Christ without a handicap. Without a handicap. God must be so frustrated with us sometimes when he looks down and he sees his kids saying, I have given you everything. I have the entire resources of heaven. I have not withheld one sacrifice for you and you cannot treat each other kindly and you cannot work together. How frustrating that must be for him. And he says, in doing that, you are, you are receiving judgment. And some of you are living in sickness, if not physical, mental sickness, because you're disconnected from the perfect plans and the perfect function of the body of Christ. Here's why, here's why we are sick. The body heals itself. If you know anything about biology, which my wife does, and, and others I know do. She's worked. The body, doctors have never healed one person. They have not healed one person. The best that a doctor can do is help you provide an environment, the right nutritions, the right whatever, to balance things out to allow the body to heal itself. That's what happens. When you're disconnected from the body, you cannot heal. Because the rest of the body will overcompensate. That's why it says rejoice when your brother rejoices, weep when the others weep. If you stub your toe, think about this, you stub your toe, your entire body responds to bring restoration and healing to that toe. Because the entire body feels it. So even though you feel insignificant, something happens to you. If you're connected to the body and the rest of the body is connected to you, we all feel it. When you're, discon when you're disconnected, that's when we bring judgment on ourselves, even to the point of bringing physical sickness. The body will heal you. The body will heal you. If you're sick and you know your brothers and sisters are coming together, come They'll pray for you. I bet you're going to get well much faster than if you stay home. No, no, wait a minute, Mike. We got COVID. We got blah, 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 blah. Yes, I know there's some wisdom involved in all of that. But I would rather take the risk of be, getting sick and praying for my brother or my sister to be healed. I'd take the risk for you. Why? Because you matter that much to me. 
That's the body who loves the body. I will never say to you, oh, you're sick, stay away from me. Why? Because Jesus never did that. Not once. I never saw an apostle do that. Not once. And yet we're now we're a bunch of hypochondriacs. And is that the right word? Hypochondriac? Sick that I think I'm sick all the time or you know, we're scared of every little bacteria and every little virus out there. We're so scared all the time. The enemy has effectively used that as a tool to divide us. Let it not so be among you. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you for our, our body, your body. I thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you died for us. Help us to love one another, even to the point that we would be willing to lay our lives down for one another. I pray, Father, that we would be a different type of people, a different type of church. Ones that submit one to another. We are many members, Lord, but we are one body. I pray that you give us the revelation of what that means. I pray that this teaching would not be one that says, ah, nice, nice teaching. That was, that was good. But no, I want one that w- this sinks deep within our spirits and we act differently. That we mature, that we grow up and we become that thing that you are calling us to, which is a unified body in Jesus a unified congregation that God can use, that you can use, that you can trust. They say, I'm going to send. I could be sending this church. I could be sending this church. But I'm going to send this one because they're healthy and they're strong. And I need my strongest and my best to move forward and to accomplish this thing that I'm calling them to do. I want to be that, Lord. I want this congregation to be that. I don't want it sick. I don't want it uh, broken. I don't want it uh, in mis- disunity. I don't want us handicapped and, 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 and just satisfied with crumbs. Lord, I want the best. I want the healthiest. I want the strongest because I want to bring you more glory and I want your kingdom to expand in the mighty name of Jesus. And it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with our fame or our reputation. I hope nobody knows about it other than you. This is not about us getting a reputation. The only reputation that we want is you to be glorified. That's it. Nameless, faceless outside of Jesus. Jesus' name and Jesus' face. Lord, make us one as you and the Father are one. In Jesus' name, amen.